Welcome everybody back to Ready and Able. Today we have Akiva Pullman on to talk to us about mental health. Right. Thanks for having me. It's a great honor to be here. Thank you. Um, okay, so first off, could you tell us a little bit about your background in mental health? Um, yeah, or in sure. the mental health field, I should say. Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. I think it's been around 20 years now. Um, started out in a variety of settings, but uh, in a hospital setting, in a clinical setting, working with some primarily within the from community with many different issues. But most of the areas I've dealt with are, you know, trauma, addiction, um, things like that, that are quite intense. But and right now, today, I'm running a clinic in Williamsburg. We actually have many people coming in from Crown Heights. I think it's just a little bit easier for them to go to a different community. And uh, I'm a professor in uh, graduate school. And uh, I meet people in this office where I am right now every once in a while. That's what I'm up to. But thank God, I, it's been a wonderful journey. So um, I think we all have heard, like, we've all talked about mental health before and the importance of having good mental health. But um, could you maybe define for us what is mental health? How do we have, like, good mental health? Like, what, do you, what does it mean when we say mental health? Right. Well, each of us, each of us it was sort of created by Hashem in a very unique manner. We all have something about us that's special. And that's particular to just the way that we are. Um, so defining mental health, mental health is honoring who you are, honoring the way that you were created, the strengths that you were given, the talents that you were given, learning to manage some of the struggles that you have, but overall taking care of yourself. So if something's bothering you, you have people in your life that you could turn to that um, will be there for you, will care for you. Um, if you're having a good day, you're trying to spread that light to other people. If you have an idea that you find that's meaningful, you want to make sure that other people are benefiting from it as well. But really, it means actualizing the strengths that Hashem gave you, um, that you grew up with, um, and, and becoming ultimately the best person you possibly could come. That's the plan of, of mental health. You know, it's just, uh, you know, certain people get stuck in different places and we want to help them move forward. Uh, that's ultimately where we come in as therapists. So basically just being the best version of yourself. Yeah. By and large. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, is a hard thing to do, by the way. It's not such a simple thing. It, it, it sounds simple, but it's not. Um, so if well, there are a lot of people who are dealing with mental health struggles, I think for a lot of people are just de dealing with generalized anxiety and depression, specifically teenagers. Um, what practical tips could you share besides for obviously going to therapy? What other practical tips could you share with um, with us for people who are dealing with these things like that could help? Yeah, yeah to be honest, I, I don't think I'm the biggest fan of going to therapy in your teenage years unless you really need to. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm very often discouraging parents from sending their kids and encouraging them to say, why don't you do what the therapist is going to do so you could reconnect with your child and have the conversations that they need to have. Um, but I think when it comes to one thing we need to know about emotions is that they come from a certain place. So if you're feeling anxious, um, it means there's something that's bothering you. If you're feeling depressed, it means that you're feeling hopeless. Um, so these things are not just something that you wake up one day and you just you feel a certain way. Like it's it's not only a chemical reaction. It's something about your life. It's almost like someone's knocking on your door saying, hey, there's a problem here. So we got to find a way to tend to it. We have to find a way to deal with it. Um, so a lot of anxiety often means that there's fear. There could be perfectionism, a need to be a certain way, or just anxiety about everyone else seems to be doing all right and you're not. Mm 
which is a fairly common thing for us to experience. Um, and I think a lot of it is sort of going back to ourselves and saying, you know, how could we build ourselves up? How could we be okay? Um, depression often is about hopelessness. And you just sort of believe that there, there's not much that you're going to be able to accomplish. Um, so you want to go back to the drawing board and take it one little step at a time. But I think what's so important during these years um, is having role models, having good people in your life. That doesn't mean a therapist. It means a teacher. It means a mora. It means a friend. It means a mashpia. It means somebody in your life that's there, that knows you, that listens to you, that cares about you, that thinks about you. Um, that you could that you could ultimately learn from. And when you're having a hard day, which we all have, by the way, it's not like there's anyone who doesn't, um, you get to turn to someone and, and feel like they're there with you, you know, and for you. That becomes really important. Mm-hmm. So you're saying finding somebody that we could talk to, basically. Yeah, yeah. and obviously in very extreme situations, that's mm-hmm. where therapy becomes a conversation. That's where other things become a conversation. But you don't think everybody needs that? Honestly, that was one of my questions. I think, do you think that everybody needs therapy? But you don't think so. Not at all. No, no. Therapy is something that you do um, when it could be helpful to you mm-hmm. um, if you're having a really hard time. So I, I like at one point, would you consider, I had uh, two questions about this actually. At what point would you consider it necessary to go to therapy? And also what point is it necessary to go on medication? Let's say for anxiety or depression, like at what right. point does it become necessary? Well, first of all, I don't think we should be making these decisions ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, deciding to go on medication should be done in With some type of medical environment. You know, the doctors are the ones to prescribe these things. Um, so to me, going to therapy is when you're really having a hard time functioning, you're really not doing well in your life. Um, you wouldn't basically when you can't function in normal society, you're saying? Yeah, you're, you're having a hard time making your way to school. You're having a hard time engaging in any type of relationship with another person. Or you're so terrified of seeing yourself in the mirror, whatever that might be. Um, but so therapy is a great solution to a problem. But, but let's not forget that it's a solution to a problem. So it's we the the problem needs to be meaningful enough for us to say, okay, let's do something about it. Let's try to fix something. And again, medication also could be really helpful, especially when like the the thoughts or the feelings are way too intense and you can't settle it down enough for you to to do what you need to do. Um, Let's say anxiety could be, you know, for some people walking into a room with others feel feels like a near death experience for them. They're they're struggling through like extreme anxiety. So it might be helpful for that person in order to make their way into the room to start engaging in in conversation with others. They might need something to help them with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are decisions. Ultimately, usually you start with therapy and in therapy often could get identified that we need something a little bit more than just this. Um, but, but especially in the teenage years, like we're supposed to, you know, be finding like ourselves. Yeah. This You're is saying, like it's normal for teenagers to feel a little bit anxious and depressed. That's also another one of my questions. Um, so like at what point does it, is it like, I'm feeling anxiety. I'm a little anxious to do this new thing. And then, and where does that separate from? I have an anxiety disorder and I need help. Like at one point, what's the difference really between feeling anxiety and having an anxiety disorder? Right. Well, first of all, not all anxiety is bad. We look at anxiety as if it's like a terrible thing, but usually like anxiety, the feeling of I need to do something, it often comes from like it, it drives us to do something positive. Um, so let's say you have a test and you're fearful of you know, not doing well on that test. That anxiety should often help you study for the test 
to buckle down. Mm-hmm. But bad anxiety is when it stops you from doing anything. So you're anxious about the test, but you're so anxious about it that you can't function at all. Or you're anxious about, you know, most of us are anxious about meeting new people. Even as adults, we get anxious about these things, believe it or not. It doesn't sound like it goes away. Anxiety is a part of the way we were created and it will be around forever. Um, But when it gets to a point where we're not functioning as a result of it and life gets really, really complicated, that's when we know that anxiety is not the best thing, you know. But anxiety, I think it's developed a bad reputation. It doesn't have to. Most of the, you know, ask most of the people that you know that you value and you appreciate. Like, do you do you battle some of your anxiety before you do some of the bigger things you do? Um, I was anxious before getting on here. It's just the thing that you have a little. Yeah. Huh? Me too. Yeah. There's like just a little pit in your stomach and you're like, okay, but usually what that does is that anxiety helps you prepare a little better. Hopefully you're better rested because you know that you're going to do something a little bit different and uh, you shouldn't be so anxious. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Have no fear. Your parents Uh, are proud. Thank you. Um, Okay. So do you think that um, also for people who are dealing with mental health issues that having Tyra in their life and, you know, like having like kind of like a, a higher power, I guess, I know that's a big thing in the, the, um, the, the like the addiction community like having yeah. a higher power it's like very important um sure. do you think just dealing with mental health issues it is important to have so like and kind of like a higher power to look up to oh for sure on on literally on every single level um the if you look at it and it, it usually in psychology like they they often would keep god out of the picture they wouldn't talk about god in psychology they wanted it to be a science the same way they often don't speak about god in biology you know, they talk about the body and how the body works. They're not introducing these other ideas of spirituality and, and things that connect us to Hashem, connect us to our soul and our heart. But um, but more recently, the past couple of years, 20 years or so, they've they've opened up to the idea that that having God in your life has a profound impact on the way that you live. Um, it gives you purpose. It gives you meaning. It gives you direction. It gives you clarity. It gives you companionship. It gives you hope. And this is all your relationship with Hashem. And if you have all these things in your life, in general, you have these things with you all the time, chances are when, let's say, you're depressed, you don't feel alone in that depression because there's a belief in some form of higher power that there's something to learn from this moment. There's something to grow from. Um, Or if you're feeling lost or confused, whatever that might be, Having Hashem in your life goes a really, really long way, not only in, in, in treating something, but also in preventing something like you were talking about addiction, addiction across the board. Like they basically say, if you don't believe in a higher power, you're going to have a really hard time staying sober altogether. Um, but across the board, if you believe in something that's beyond yourself, chances are you're going to make better decisions. Um, you're going to be accountable to something. Um, so if you have an option of doing something that may feel good, but goes against your values and you believe in those values, then it's going to prevent you from actually doing it. So it's not only like Hashem is not only the treatment, Hashem is also the prevention Mm -hmm. uh, because it keeps us on, on a path that is geared towards something that's meaningful as opposed to, let me just focus on myself and what feels good in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think when we're talking about mental health, there's like, a spiritual aspect right we need uh, like a god or whatever there's also what would you say for like the physical aspect of like 
Um, a lot of people say like exercise and intense exercise helps with anxiety, depression, um, mindfulness, things like that. Would you like say that that's also helpful for yeah well I, I think when you think about what all those things are like what is mindfulness what is exercise what is taking time for yourself what is meditation all of it sort of bring you into your own being they allow you to like focus on yourself and realize that you matter you realize that you're special and unique that's what all those things do they kind of bring you into your own body into your own heart and and I think because we're living in such a fast-paced world, especially now with, again, I hate, I, I know when you talk to teenagers, everyone like starts trashing cell phones and all that stuff and, and technology. But, but there is a harsh reality that we're mm -hmm. living in a world that we're, we're kind of separate from ourselves most of the time. Mm -hmm. We're not spending time with our own being. And now it just became a thing that, oh, do all these things so you could be with yourself. But that's really what it's saying. Meditation is just getting back to yourself just getting returning to yourself and 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 even exercise using your body like releasing that stress it's all about returning to yourself um and i don't think we would have had this problem if we wouldn't have had as many distractions as we do um these things were kind of normal imagine you'd wake up you know with the sounds of the rooster in the morning and go to sleep when it gets dark at night without really those distractions mm -hmm. like i think you're with yourself most of the time but in our world it's really hard to be with yourself so now we need to have all these words that we come up with, meditate, exercise, you know, all those, you know, uh, all those things that that are intended to bring you back into your into your experience, which is a beautiful thing. And, and let us all remember, whoever's listening, um, that that we are the way we're supposed to be. We're 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 beautiful the way we're supposed to be beautiful. And that's and and we shouldn't be afraid of that. Lean into that. Be with that. Experience that and have gratitude for for everything that's come your way and even even the suffering sometimes but we don't want to get into that this second I, that could, we'll get lost a little bit in that yeah um i was actually talking to someone recently about um they were telling me about their anxiety and how they were thinking of all the things that were going wrong and um basically what i said to her i don't i want to know if you would agree with this that um when something happens she's trying to solve it with her brain when the problem isn't actually the things that that's happening necessarily it's like it's like she has anxiety or we have anxiety and then our anxiety manifests in different ways and then we kind of like we we use our brain to try and make it make sense rationalize it and it kind of starts to spiral do you know what i'm saying so right i was wondering would you would you say that necessarily like the anxiety is there and the things that are happening happening don't actually matter really it's just it's just the form of the anxiety like finding a way to manifest itself kind of yeah, well, I think I think what you shared with your your friend is very wise that like you're you kind of understand that that however it's playing out in real time in real life is not really what's bothering you. Um, I don't want to get into all the theories, but one of the main theories that we have and what anxiety really comes from mm -hmm. is that we have things in our life that we're not taking care of. Um, we're not attending to them. So we push them away into our unconscious. And eventually, if there's so much of those ideas that make their way to that place that we're not really dealing with, they're going to come knocking back and, and telling us that there's a problem. They're going to like just, you know, the, the, the analogy that they give is like a, a boiling pot with like a tight lid. Eventually, it's just going to blow up. And that's kind of what anxiety is like. You're not tending to your emotions. So as a result of that, like your your system breaks down and tells you that you're having a hard time. Um, so what you suggested, which is pay attention to what you're not paying attention to. It's not a 
it's not in your mind. It's not rational. It's emotional. There's something that's bothering you that you're not attending to. I need to find a way to, to start paying attention to it, which I think is what you said. And, mm-hmm. um, and I absolutely agree with you. I, I think when you start trying to reason with your mind, when it comes to anxiety, especially often anxiety is going to be like, you're not going to come out on top because um, yeah. it doesn't make so much sense. Anxiety, anxiety is kind of irrational. Um, you know, when someone, let's say, let's say a form of OCD, right? OCD is a form of anxiety where someone feels like I'm afraid that germs are going to get into my system and I'm going to get really sick. So then they start washing their hands and doing everything they possibly can to take that feeling away from themselves. Um, so you can't battle that emotionally. You can't battle that, you know, rationally and say, well, I'm not going to get infected by germs because the truth is we know we can. It's always a possibility. So you need to go to the deeper level, which is what's really bothering me that I'm so afraid of, which is often emotional. I think a lot of people who are in therapy, um, you know, they just, they start therapy and they don't necessarily know where they're going with it. They're just, they've started therapy. They're like, okay, I'm already taking a step. Um, but and then we, you know, we might just get comfortable with it and we don't necessarily know what we're doing. How would you, how would you say like, what is, how do we set up therapy goals so that we, so we can, yeah. How do we set up therapy goals? And also what does successful therapy look like? Right. Well, one thing we need to know about therapy is that there, there isn't one therapy that's kind of universal. Mm-hmm. Every therapist that you're going to go to is going to have a different take, a different perspective. You know, you have three main ideas of therapy and, and you're going to find yourself in the office of one. I think the, the number one thing um, that we need to know is that you need to feel comfortable with your therapist. If you need to lie to your therapist or pretend that you're somebody else to your therapist, then you're probably not with the right person. Um, it should be a place where you feel like I could be myself. I could tell this person whatever is present with me, whatever's on my heart, and they'll accept that reality, even though it's hard, even though I may have shame with it and I may have a hard time with it, that this person should do that. And, and I think it's a therapist's job to answer this question, not so much the, the, you know, the client or the patient, patient's job to really determine the course of where is this going to go? How are we going to get there? Um, They should be the one to do that. But therapy, there are a few components that make up good therapy. One is a real sense of comfort with the person and a belief that they could tolerate who you are and they like who you are, um, where you feel appreciated in that type of way. And you also want to ask yourself, like, if I were to be getting a little bit better, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, And that then becomes the goal. So let's say you're struggling with you know, friends and relationships or trust. So then the goal becomes, how could I, how will I know if I'm trusting more or how will I feel trust a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal is always based on what, it, what it is that you're going for, but, but you want therapy to be more than just, you know, sharing your week with a person. It, it should be a little bit more active, more goal oriented. Um, but sometimes for people that don't have a lot of support in their lives, just having someone there's yeah just having someone that that cares and is willing to hear them out we all need to be listened to we all need to be cared for and unfortunately some people grow up in environments where that's not the case mm-hmm. um would you say that maybe you should like talk to your therapist either before you start if you're in middle of therapy maybe talk to them and ask like this is like would you like say set up goals with your therapist like say like this is what i want to do obviously you can't there is no really healing and i also want to ask you about that like there's no there's no being fixed, but on the journey, should you talk to them openly about like, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. 
hundred percent. I think that you should always feel like you have the ability to say anything to your therapist. Um, and that means even criticizing them at times. Like mm -hmm. if let's say you feel like I, I don't like it's been a month and we're, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's happening over here. Like you should be able to say that to your therapist, like what's going on. Um, and, uh, and, and just really, really speak your mind. Um, so if you feel like it's directionless, I would bring that up and say, you know, what are we getting at? What's the goal? And sometimes I'll have to explain to you what's going on. Like, for example, many therapists will ask you about earlier experiences in your life and your relationship with your parents and your relationship with Yiddishkeit and your relationship um, with your siblings and things like that. And not all of them will explain to you why they're asking you those questions. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's the things that we're not dealing with in our life, like we said before, will push them away into our unconscious. So they're trying to help us become aware of those things. But if we don't know what's going on in therapy, just ask. And a therapist should be able to handle it. It's not your job to take care of your therapist's feelings. You know, if they they should go to their own therapy, if that's the case. And that's and that's fine. I've been in and out of therapy many times. It's a wonderful thing. Um, so and uh and just to answer the other statement you made, which I think was really wise, that we don't really heal per se, we just get better. Um, healing means like I live in a state of clear and everything is perfect. And for whatever the reason is, like we're supposed to live in conflict. We're supposed to live in a state of tension because uh, that tension creates growth and new opportunities and new ideas. And um, it's not just about, you know, absolute bliss. I think you'll notice that the people who are trying to live I think this is a lot of social media, like they're trying to portray. I saw this the other day. I was speaking to a friend and it was freezing out and he wanted to go visit a place. He was from another country. He was trying to visit something in New York City. And he said he's sitting there in a car bundled up, but wants to take a certain picture so he could post it on, you know, his status or whatever that is. And uh, and he's like freezing, freezing cold, but he runs outside without his jacket on so he could take the right picture, takes the picture and posts it all over the place. He said, but if people really knew how I was feeling at the time, he's like, I was freezing to death. Um, but he wanted it to look casual and happy and comfortable. Um, and I think a lot of the people that are trying to present to the world that, you know, everything is perfect. Um, it's very often a distortion. You know, life is complicated. Life is beautiful and wonderful, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have its challenges and struggles. So we get better. And that's our goal to always be getting a little bit better, a little bit closer to ourselves, a little bit closer to Hashem, a little bit closer to the people around us so we could deepen the relationships in our lives. Mm. Um, I know, like, uh, I think it was Friedrich Nietzsche, right, who talked about, like, um, using the struggle to I think you call it configuration or something, right? Like, like turning the struggle into something else. And like, I, I don't know if that's ultimately what his point was. I think is basically what I'm saying is like taking the struggles and the hardships and like transforming it into something deeper. I don't know if he was saying happiness, but would you say that it's sometimes well, necessary to struggle? Definition. He was talking about, and Nietzsche's a, like a wonderful thinker. He's a complicated character, but a wonderful mm -hmm. thinker. And he was talking about defining yourself through your suffering, that it's yeah. in your suffering that you discover something. Uh, there's a wonderful book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor mm -hmm. Frankl. I know that, that so far as I remember, if I know the story correctly, that the Rebbe had communicated with him um, about Tefillin and stuff like that. But he, was a, he also was a, a beautiful man. 
Um, but they both spoke about this idea in a similar manner, um, where it's your suffering that leads you to a place of um, self-realization and, and, and defining yourself through your challenges. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you should define yourself through your challenges or is it, is it you can be happy without struggling also? I think you certainly could be happy without struggling. Um, I think that that the best thing we could do with our challenges is find a way to learn from them, you know, find a way to grow as a result of them. Um, and challenge, I think if we accept the fact that challenge is inevitable, that it's going to happen anyway, um, then we could ask ourselves, instead of trying to avoid challenge our whole lives, we could ask ourselves, what do I do when it comes? Um, and very often that defines who we are. You know, some of the strongest people we know, the reason why we look at them as strong people is because they've been through a lot of adversity and they rose, they, they rose to the occasion. They made their way out on top as a result of it. Um, and so they've defined themselves by their struggle. They rose to the top. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we already mentioned a little bit about uh, social media, but I was, I think there, like when it comes to social media, there's both the fact that like, it's specifically with TikTok, it's like a, like a, it's like a immediate dopamine hit, right? So it's like, it's like completely distracting your brain from what you're doing. And there's also like seeing other people and wanting maybe, you know, to, to be like that or to do that knowing, even though you know that it's not always real. Um, Would you, would you say that social media is maybe like one of the main causes for the mental health epidemic that we have nowadays? It's, it's, uh, listen, a lot of people are writing about how social media is really destructive to people, especially, and I hate saying this, I'm not going to say it. I was about to say, especially adolescents, but I hate women. I, when I was a teenager, I, I hated it. for everybody, though. Yeah, it's bad. It's, and, and it's funny that we only talk about teenagers in this when, you know, adults are struggling the exact same way, sometimes even more mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to these things. There is something about, often the teenage years is about like kind of figuring out who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that adults have figured that out, but it's um, a, we're in a more formative state. state kind yeah, of. it's a little bit more fragile. We need to be a little bit more careful about the things that we give ourselves access to, to, to make sure that we're the ones making the decisions for ourselves as opposed to something else informing that. Um, but yeah, at, you look at people now that the, the world of psychology, if you look at the literature on it, they're basically saying that in 20 years from now, we're going to look back at this era the same way we looked back at cigarette smoking when it first came out. When cigarettes first came out, people were, doctors were advocating for it and saying, oh, this is a wonderful thing. And they'd have ads of, of, of men and women, you know, smoking cigarettes and talking about the benefits of it. And then they slowly realized that it's killing people. And I think that most people look, will, are saying now, we're going to look back at this time and, and say like, this is crazy that people were literally spending every free second of their lives um, kind of in a state of distraction. That's kind of what it does. Forget about what you're actually seeing, but it's like you're living in a state of distraction. Now, I wish I could say there are some great solutions. We don't have great solutions yet, um, but we're just not doing it, I guess, well, which is very other things. I think we need to combat it with other things. Like mm-hmm. some of the better solutions are, you know, if you have the opportunity, they ran a study, which was fascinating. They ran a study with chess and they took people who loved playing chess and they said, you could play chess and we'll give you a constant flow of competition on your level. And you could do it in person. You'll sit down in a room, 
play chess against a person. And they took a group of the people who did that. Then they took a group of people who were playing chess, the same level of competition, but doing it on their phones or on their computer. And they found that the people doing it on the phones and computer on average were playing around double the amount of time than the people doing it in person. Um, so there's something that you were talking about, the, the dopamine that it hits you, like it simply impacts you in a different way. Um, so the best thing we could do is try to create other opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in, I believe it was your school. I was there recently for something. It was, I don't know, I was doing a training for teachers. And, and the energy of the building was so wonderful. Like people were just having a good time. And it's just nice seeing everyone. No one's running around with cell phones. No one's doing mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, they locked them up. Yeah, they locked them up. <laughs> the way they're engaging, they're they're having yeah normal conversations with each other, and when you go to certain schools, not all schools are like that. There are schools that, like literally during breakfast mm-hmm. and lunch and every single break, everyone is just you know catching up on you know finishing a movie they started the night before. Um, so I thought it was just wonderful to see what was going on. So we need to create more of that, you know. But we also need mm-hmm. to accept the fact that this is simply a part of our lives, and we need to grab learn how to cope with it, maybe. Yeah. We can't necessarily get rid of it. Um, also, I think maybe the reason that it's if there's like a good energy in the school is because we're also around people, right? So if we just like we're we don't have our phones and we're spending times like face to face with other people, like right. you know, being around people, so socializing helps a lot. Yeah, and I imagine if you were to ask people, what do you really prefer? Do you prefer being around others and just you know, just having a good time versus being isolated, even Mm -hmm. interacting with others. I think most people will tell you that a much, it's a much more enjoyable experience to be together, but because of the dopamine and because of like the pleasure that comes along with it. um, And these things are designed to sort of keep us in the game. um, The longer we're on it, that's, that's how they make their money. Um, So they, they're incentivized to keep us there for longer. And they create algorithms that keep us there for longer. They figure out in a very quick period of time what we want to see and what will keep us, you know, whatever, swiping up or down in order to do it. Um, and uh, and we just need to challenge that a little bit. You know, I'm not I don't, I don't think we live in a world where we have like the, the solution is you get rid of everything um, because there is progress and and progress, you know, changes our reality. Uh, but we need to grapple with it. Because any any good life that one a person's going to ever live is one where they're they're facing it in a in an honest manner, um, where they understand what they're up against and they're trying to challenge it. Mm-hmm. Would you say maybe like finding hobbies or finding things that you like to do might also help with like where we're not trying to get rid of it, but instead finding something that we like to do that doesn't have to do with social media or any kind of screen. Just finding something that makes you happy that has nothing to do with that would also like help you deal with your mental yeah. health also. Yeah, I think that's what we're speaking about, like just finding other ways to express yourself, other ways to to be in the world and to interact with others and doing good things and and whatever, whatever it is that you could do that you'll enjoy a hobby or something else that will they'll do a lot for you. Definitely will. We know that they have rates now that they are correlating like the amount of time that you spend on a device to the severity of, let's say, a mental illness or a struggle. And they're able to see that. And I think it makes sense. You could explain it to a person, you know, to a fifth grader. And I think they'll understand that idea that if you're sitting there for, you know, six hours a day on your phone, chances are you're not doing really well. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense because you're probably not getting fresh air. You're probably not talking to too many people. You're really isolated and alone. And we don't do well when we're isolated and alone. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives us the sense that we're not alone and that's the problem. So we'd say like um, it's a very big factor in mental health struggles, but I was going to ask you, um, do you think that when it comes to mental health, do you think it's something that we're necessarily born with or is it, or is it like a, is it a genetic thing? Is it something that comes from the environment or would you say it's like a mixture of both? I think this is one of like the, the oldest questions in our profession. Yeah. The nature nurture question. And it's a real complicated one. And, you know, one thing you'll notice within certain families, like if, if a child has anxiety, chances are that one of their parents have anxiety too. Almost always that's the case. So there are certain things that there, there are genetic elements to things, but we also need to consider the fact that if you're raised in a home where a parent is, a parent is very anxious, then you're, you're also observing anxiety all the time. So it's going to rub off on you. So I think there's a combination of both. Like we're clearly... Any parent knows this, that children, no two children are born exactly the same. They're born with like, and we started with this before, like we're all born with a particular tafkid, a particular purpose to us. And as a result of that, no one's going to be born exactly the same. We're all going to have a different energy because we're all capable of doing different things. Um, so we know that. So genetically, even with the same exact genetics, you know, three, five children from the same parents have the same genetics, um, but they're all, their temperament is different. Their personality is different. Their, their way of communicating is different. And that's not just from nurture. So there's a, you know, we're born that way, but there's also the, the combination of nature and nurture. They interact with one another. Um, and uh, I think it's, I think we're always going to arrive at the answer of it's a combination of both. I don't think we'll ever have a direct thing, but I think the way that we're raised from a nurture perspective um, has a profound impact on who we are as people. There's no question um, that if we're raised in a, a peaceful, loving environment, then the world is a lot more comfortable for us to be in versus one that's filled with conflict and struggle. And those things, they go in, they, they, they fester deeply within us where that conflict becomes us. You know, it's not that you just observe the conflict, you become the conflict and life becomes a little bit complicated after that. Um, so there's really a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've already talked about like having mental health issues, and I think everyone has to a certain extent. But there are also, I think, people in high school specifically who there are people who are struggling. Right. And then they have friends who they're they're hearing their friends problems. They don't necessarily know what to do. And I think for a lot of people, it could be very taxing on them, specifically if they don't know whether or not their friend is getting traditional help, right? So basically, what would you say to a friend who's trying to be there with their friend's mental health issues? And how do you do that without it becoming your own issue? How do you take that on without it becoming your own issue? Well, I I think it's okay for a friend's problem to impact you, because um, that means that you care. So I, I think that like the idea of like, oh, we need to be very, very selfish. Sometimes we need to be selfish to protect ourselves when we're being like dragged into a vortex of insanity and we realize that we're not the right person to help, then it's it's important at that moment to really be selfish. But when you have a brother or sister um, from, from, from anyone uh, in the world that is hurting, that is struggling, on some level that should hurt us. And we should be impacted by it. And and we should ask them how they're doing because they're our family. And so that that really becomes important. So I think on a on a minor level, in any relationship, you're going to have a discussion about if someone's not doing so well, you could be there for them and care for them. And 
and check in on them and things like that, uh, just as a friend. And that can be very healing. I think this question gets very complicated when you're dealing with someone who is really struggling. And it's not just like the typical um, life stuff or teenage stuff. It's It goes well beyond that. And they're starting to talk about things like cutting or suicide or drugs or really bad relationships and things like that. That's when things get very, very complicated. And I think the best thing we could do for a person um, is get them to the right place. And, and very rarely is a friend the right place for that because a friend doesn't have the ability to to really manage that. They don't really know how to, how to speak about it, what questions to ask, how to help that person. They can't determine, does this person, you know, need a different school? Does this person need to be in a hospital? Does this person need to be in therapy? Does a person just need to go for a walk? That's not something that you've had any form of training to do. So I think when it goes beyond us and it's no longer like something normal, typical that we could relate to, um, then that's when I think we need to somehow find other people. And sometimes, by the way, that means that a relationship gets severed, which is a hard thing. Sometimes uh, you have to do it for yourself. Sometimes you have to do it for yourself. And, and more importantly, sometimes you have to do it for them, not just for yourself, because mm-hmm. they're, they're not doing well and they need to get the right type of help. And they're not going to get it because you can't provide it for them. So I think you're doing it for both of you. Um, would you and say I think like it, borders on? Would you say it borders on like a codependent relationship, kind of like in high school, like becomes maybe a little bit codependent? It can, but I would say that the codependency stuff on a minor level is we're all a little bit codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, is not so terrible, but codependency when like you can't survive without that other person, or they can't survive with you, and if they see you talking to another friend and they're not center stage, then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, a crazy story. Uh, that's when stuff gets, you know, a little bit out of control. Um, and, and clearly that person is not doing well. So we should probably do the best we can and speak to a parent about it, speak to a teacher about it, speak to a guidance counselor about it um, and, and just get some advice. And often they'll hold your hand through something like that. And what would you say to like, maybe there are some kids who, you know, know the family of the person who's dealing with things and they don't necessarily have a, like a safe family home or they don't, they don't feel like you, you don't feel like you could talk to their parents. Would you say maybe go to a teacher or? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the problem is that most of the cases that we're talking about right now meet that description, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and, and that's where the nurture. Yeah. Yeah. I think when people are living in chaos for one reason or another, their lives are going to become somewhat chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often, again, you'd like for the family to help them, but very often, unfortunately, they're not necessarily equipped to do that. Um, so go to the people that can, that can help. You mm-hmm. know. Um, but caring is okay, because I've heard other people say things like, you know, it's not your, it's not your job to care about another person's suffering. And I think that uh, you can still be good a human, you know, you could care yeah. about, you can also care about them without being there. Like, you, you can care about them without being their friend if you if you can't be their friend you know sure. if it's if it's becoming toxic you could care about them but also know that you can't be there for them and it wouldn't even be healthy if you were there 100%. For them. yeah um so on this topic of like uh the stigma of mental health um would you say how would you compare like the stigma around mental health in this generation compared to like that of our parents you know in past generations would you say that yeah, how would you, what would you say? I think that? we're doing a lot better. I think there's so much more awareness of 
like human emotion and the human experience. Again, we're doing better when it comes to like acknowledging the fact that people have hardships in their life. And we, we don't need to be so terrified of that idea. Mm-hmm. And even going back, you know, 10, 15 years, you, people wouldn't talk about the fact that they went to therapy or had a therapist or anything like that. Um, and today people are pretty open about it. So obviously it depends on, you know, the community where you come from. Um, but there's a lot more conversation about emotional awareness, emotional intelligence. Um, people are talking about it more and they're validating more. Um, I don't think it was paid as nearly as much attention to before as it is today. Um, and the sensitivity is there. Clearly, you see that even in social media, there's a lot of there's a lot of sensitivity. There's also a lot of, you know, saying things that are really horrific because you're hiding behind a fake name. Yeah. You know, but I think as a it's a good question to ask. But I think across the board, we would say that today we're living in more sensitive times uh, than we did in the past. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Would you say maybe that like the mental health crisis seems bigger now that we're talking about it? Or do you like, would you say that it's maybe always been there in a sense, but we just haven't been talking about it? Or you think it is just bigger and maybe that's why we are talking about it? I think we have a lot of comforts and a lot of freedoms um, mm-hmm. at this point. You know, it's uh, and as a result of that, we're, we're going to focus on it's not so much about survival. Now it's focused. We're focusing on other bigger things like living an actually happy life instead of just being alive. Correct. And I think for much of history, when we look back, um, a lot of history was just surviving. You know, how do we make our way through? Um, and today, I think we feel like we're surviving enough. So then the question becomes a lot deeper. Like, how do I survive meaningfully? Um, how do I live a wholesome existence? How do I live with a sense of purpose and, and all that, which many generations couldn't even ask themselves because they were just trying to find food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the, the more comforts you have, the more we're faced with some of these questions and the more we could go in and ask ourselves what's going on. Um, and it definitely creates a problem, uh, but it's a good problem to have because mm-hmm. it means that we're doing okay enough that we could focus on you know the inner world. We're not as concerned about the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we are running out of time a little bit, but if you could leave us with one little piece of advice, you know, whoever's listening, mostly teenage girls, what, what would it be? Don't do this alone. I think that to me is the most important part. Like we, we need people, we need supports, we need confidants. We need people that care about us in our lives and we should do our best to find people that we trust, find people that care about us, um, find those relationships and and try your best not to do it alone because you need that. I, some of the, the most important people in my life, even during my adolescent years, um, are still a part of my life today because they were that important to me. Um, and I think you stand a much better chance of making our way through a pretty challenging period of time, um, which ends one day, by the way, which is nice. And, and then you have new challenges to face, um, which is additionally exciting. But Um, when you have people that are there with you, understand you, who care about you, and you feel like if there's something going on, because it will, then you know that there are people that are there. And uh, to me, that's probably the most important piece that we have and, and bringing godliness into our lives as well. Like it it keeps us connected in a very meaningful way, as opposed to just living isolated lives. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And thank you, everybody for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Great pleasure. Thank you for having